Well, we're just going to jump right into it this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, open them up to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, We're going to be reading from verses 23 to 29. This is right after the famous Sermon on the Mount. And if you haven't heard that before, don't worry, I'll explain the entirety of what that means. It's very complicated. Uh, But we're going to be reading the wise and foolish builders parable that Jesus tells at the end of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 23 to 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Now this is a very, I would argue, applicable um, parable for us and what we are experiencing at this time in our lives, because we're very, or we're under very unique circumstances in these uh, these few months, if not the last year, and I'll explain why this parable is so fitting in a second here. But before we get there, also got to make sure I don't run into that stand. So if I fall over, just ignore me. Uh, but before we get there, I want to give a, a, a brief overview of where we've been through this past year as um, Canadians, really. So back on January twenty fifth, twenty twenty. Uh, last year, the first case of COVID entered Canada. And on March 16th, a few months later, uh, the Canadian borders were shut down for travel. And the day after that, Alberta instituted a state of emergency uh, where the province shut down and were closing schools. And since then, schools have closed, reopened. Um, Team sports events have been canceled. I know, boo, it sucks, but that's okay. Uh, Toilet paper sales skyrocketed, uh, as did cannabis and alcohol sales. Uh, Many, many businesses and restaurants had to close and suffered the loss as well. And some people began working from home and experienced different challenges there, working with uh, your toddlers running around or your spouse. And others were laid off due to lack of work. And at this time, others have been overworked as well. Now, Organizations like Statistics Canada, uh, Mental Health Research Canada, and the Center for Addiction and Mental Health have done polling throughout the pandemic, and I thought it'd be interesting maybe just to share some of those findings with you guys. So due to the economic shutdown, Statistics Canada uh, reported that employment rates rose from 5.6% in February last year uh, to 13.7% this past May. Now, since then, we don't really know if it's gone up or down. I imagine it's gotten worse than this. But uh, just for comparison, back in the recession of 2008, uh, the, the unemployment peaked at 8.7%. So we're doing a little worse off than back then. In, in another poll done by Statistics Canada, the participants uh, were asked, uh, and 5% said that they had high levels of anxiety before covid And now this number has quadrupled to around 20% of the polled population. And in another study done on depression, 4% said they'd experienced severe depression before COVID, and that number has more than doubled to around 10 to 13% during the pandemic. Uh, 
the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, uh, did the same poll for depression rates, but did it among the young adults group of 18 to 35-year-olds and found that this percentage was nearly 25% affecting uh, a, a severe depression affecting nearly a quarter of all young adults. Now, back in 2019, Statistics Canada did a poll on heavy drinking and found that 18% of the population reported consuming at least one, um, one day a month over the past year where they consumed large amounts of alcohol. And this past November, the um, CAMH reported that 25% of people had um, reported binge drinking in the last week alone. Uh, Mental Health Research Canada reported that over the pandemic, around 30% of people have increased their cannabis consumption. In 2019, Statistics Canada indicated that 2.5% of the population reported having suicidal thoughts. And the Canadian Mental Health Association reported back in May uh, that this number has jumped to nearly 6.4%. And again, that number increased back in October to 10% of the population four times the amount uh, compared to pre-pandemic. Now, that's a lot of data, and I'm sorry, that's probably very discouraging. Um, l- let, me, let me just simplify this data, and then we'll move on from here. Uh, and I do want to say as well that a lot of this information won't be 100% accurate because they take a small portion of the population and then from there figure out how the rest of Canada is doing. But uh, it gives us a general idea of where most people are at, though. Uh, so, just to put it simply, uh, depression rates have quadrupled, anxiety rates have more than doubled with, with severe anxiety affecting one in every four young adults, uh, substance misuse has increased drastically, and thoughts of suicide have quadrupled as well. Now, <laughs> if you haven't turned off your live stream, uh, please bear with me. Uh, there, there is good news, despite all of the uh, seeming tragedies that I'm, I'm telling you, or giving news about, rather. The, the parable of the wise and the foolish builder is very applicable to us at this time because right now we are facing the torrential rain. We are facing the rising floodwaters and the blowing wind. And for many people, we are finding out just what the foundation of our house has been built on. It's during the storms of life that the foundations are tested. And right now, the pandemic storm is blowing a lot of houses down. So... I want to ask, what is your foundation built on? Or, or maybe better yet, how is your house doing? If you think of yourself as a house and the things you rely upon as your foundation, when, what condition is your house in? If I'm honest with you guys, um, my foundation has been mostly solid, but I've started noticing a few cracks, uh, a few, few points in my life where I thought I had trusted God, but only when was tested through the storm did I realize that I was trusting in myself and the things I could control. So what kind of shape is your house in through this storm? Are you, are you standing strong, anchored in Jesus and his teachings? Or maybe your house has fallen apart. Maybe it's washed away and the rising waters have taken away your foundation and you are left broken. Or maybe your house is still standing, and, and like me, you are noticing perhaps areas of renovations that need to be done, things that need to be fixed. Now, the good news is that 
whatever your house looks like, whatever your foundation looks like, it doesn't matter if you have a few renovations to do, if your house has been torn down completely, there is a carpenter who can fix any brokenness. And he's good at what he does. He, he doesn't judge the homeowner for the condition of the house. He, he does a good job and finish what he starts. And what's even better is that he doesn't even charge us anything for the work he does. I think it'd be pretty hard to find this type of carpenter in nowadays. Actually, um, Steve, Don, and Warren put up uh, this feature wall in our church a couple weeks ago. So being like Jesus, we appreciate it. But that was free work, I guess. I'm just trying to appreciate what you guys have done for us. <laughs> um, but where do we, where do we start? How, how do we weather this storm? Well, if we look at the parable of what Jesus is trying to say, um, he begins by saying that if we, or sorry, if uh, we're willing to hold to his teachings, and if we're willing to listen to what he says and put them into practice, that we can have a sure and strong foundation. Now, that seems pretty simple, uh, at least when we read it as a nice sentence, perfectly tied up with a bow. In fact, Jesus gives this parable right after preaching the famous Sermon on the Mount. So if we want to know what it means to hear his words and put them into practice, uh, to hold on to his teaching, we literally just need to go back a couple chapters and read the sermon he just gave. And if you've been part of a church for a long time or a short amount of time, um, chances are you've heard of the Sermon on the Mount. If you haven't, that's totally fine. Um, it's a really long explanation as to why it's called that. Jesus just preached on the side of a mountain. That's it. Uh, but this is Jesus' longest teaching in all of the four Gospels. And in it, he gives a sobering and um, illuminating idea of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so Jesus opens his sermon with the Beatitudes. Uh, blessed are you who? Uh, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the weak, or the meek, sorry. And from there, he goes on, uh, I'm just giving you guys an explanation of his whole sermon, if you're wondering where I'm going here. Uh, from there, after the Beatitudes, he gives uh, a bit of an explanation on the Old Testament law and gives the Jesus revised version, if you want to call it that. For instance, he says, uh, you know, the law says you shall not murder, but Jesus says that holding on to anger uh, against a person is just as guilty or condemning as the murderer himself. And so after explaining the law, uh, Jesus go on, uh, goes on to talk about character, the heart, and how we ought to act under different circumstances. Like uh, when we pray, we are to not pray to impress people with fancy-sounding words. Uh, we are to do it to have a relationship of trust with God. And finally, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus finishes with three encouragements to follow his teaching. Uh, he, he calls us to be like the house built upon the rock and not the sand. Uh, he calls us to be a true disciple and not to give in to false teachers. And he calls us to enter through the narrow gate and not the wide one. And he ties up his sermon with these three analogies to encourage people uh, by showing them what it's like to trust him versus what it's like to hear what he says and go your own way. We're always better off listening to Jesus. Now, I, I, I don't want to explain the whole Sermon on the Mount. That would take hours, and I would probably be better off just reading it out to you guys anyway. Uh, but I do want to talk about what it means to hear Jesus and put his words into practice. Now, before 
Jesus ever preached the Sermon on the Mount before uh, he was birthed through uh, Mary. Now, there was the law. And following God looked like obeying the Old Testament law. And if you've ever cracked your Bibles open to the books, the scary books of like Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy, Numbers, um, there's a lot of information on the law and how to follow it as well. But there are some weird laws in there too. uh, And some of them are kind of fun to read. I always like the mildew laws in there. I don't know why. It's just interesting to me. Uh, You can skip over that. But they do all have a purpose. There's a point for them. And God said that if you are to follow my law, if you are to do the things that I say, I will bless you. I will bless you and I will be your God and you will be my people. But if you choose to walk away from me, if you choose to do uh, life your own way, then there will be consequences for your failure, for your actions. But if you actually read the law... There's some pretty heavy stuff in there. Like, like the Ten Commandments, uh, for instance, they seem like a decent set of rules, and most of us would agree with them. But they are even pretty hard to follow. I'm not talking about the murder ones. I'm talking about the ones where it says, don't lie. The ones where it says, don't have any other gods beside God the Father. Now, on top of the Ten Commandments, there are 600 other laws, uh, more than 600 other laws, that people had to follow in order to be obedient to God, in order to follow him well. Now, for those of you who have read your Bible, how did that turn out for the Israelites? Not good. Um, Not at all. They repeatedly failed and failed again and again. And... Like literally open up your book to anywhere in the Old Testament and you'll probably read about his people failing to uphold the standards of what God called them to. And it is kind of sad to read throughout history just the repeated failure of people, of man to trust in God time and time again. But that's why Jesus came. Uh, I want to read for you Hebrews 8. Uh, And the author here is quoting a passage from Jeremiah, but he says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they didn't remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them. And he's referring here to the law. So they had the law to follow, But now we have Jesus to follow. It doesn't mean the law isn't um, helpful to us at all or that we still uh, shouldn't learn from it. Uh, But the law didn't work in ridding the people of their sin. Following the rules didn't. So, okay, you're with me so far, for the most part. Uh, Here's what I'm trying to get at. So if the law was so difficult that the Israelites time and time again could not live up to the standard of what God was calling them to, then why does Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount make the law even more difficult to follow? Why does Jesus seem to make it even more strict? If you read the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, it's probably pretty discouraging at least. I found it that way. If you take it piece by piece, it can be these nice little uh, pieces of a puzzle, but when you see it as a whole, it's heavy. Jesus says, if you call your brother or your friend a fool or an idiot, I've done that a few times, you're just as guilty as the murderer. He says, adultery is wrong, yes, but if you even look at a person with lust in your heart, you're just as bad as the person who's committed adultery. 
He says, if a part of your body causes you to sin, cut it off. Um, Now, that's not even the hardest part of what Jesus said. Right before, um, in in chapter 5, I think it is, Jesus says at one point that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, to put that into perspective, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were people who literally had their living in order to obey the law. Like, they made it their life goal to attain the standards of the law. And Jesus is saying, if you don't live up to their standards, if you're not better than them and more righteous than them, you're hooped. So what is Jesus saying? Because he can't be saying you need to simply do a better job at following the law and do a better job than the Pharisees who were already doing a near blameless job. Now, yes, they had their issues as well, and they had a lot of their own unrighteousness, but what does it mean? How can we attain that standard? It's impossible. Now, I think that at times when we are faced with difficult passages in the Bible that we don't know how to reconcile, uh, it's easy to justify our own reasoning behind what we think Jesus actually meant. Uh, because for most of us, I don't think that, uh, you know, Jesus would really want us to cut our hand off if it was causing us to sin. Uh, or, or if someone hurts us, Jesus wouldn't really want me to turn the other cheek. He would probably rather me avoid that person so I don't get hurt by them again. But this is the truth. And when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus is speaking the truth behind what the law's intent and purpose was. So the law literally described the do's and don'ts, what we should and should not do, but Jesus described the intent behind the law, the heart of it, and the meaning of it, which was so much more than the do's or don'ts. So At the same time as we know what Jesus is saying is true, we also know there's no way we can uphold the standard of the law. We we, we can't. So we face this seeming paradox, and we know Jesus speaks truth, but we also know that it's impossible for us to live up to the standard of that law. Now, later in the book of Matthew, there's an account of a rich man who comes to Jesus and asks him, what does it take to get into the kingdom of heaven? And so Jesus literally just uh, responds to him with the law. He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. And that's all Jesus tells him at first. But Jesus also calls the rich man to do something he could not. He asks him to give away all of his possessions. Now, that wasn't required by the law, but that was the heart of the law. And the rich man walks away. He, he had followed the law. This man had led a life where he was attaining to the standards, as far as we know from the information at least, but he had done what Jesus asked. But the heart of the law, Jesus saying that he should sell his possessions and store up treasures in heaven, where they won't perish, it was too weighty for the rich man to follow, and so he walks away. And then Jesus gives these familiar words. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, 
uh, in previous, uh, over my life, I've heard many different takes on this uh, short sentence alone. I've heard it said that, you know, there was a gate back in Jerusalem that was called uh, Needle, and so, you know, sometimes it was hard for the camel to go through uh, this gate because he had to crouch down. No, hear it for what it says. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you hear what it says? Jesus says, if you are rich, it's impossible for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty harsh. (laughs) But right after this, we get to the point of what Jesus is trying to say. And he really only hints at it. He doesn't really give a full explanation. And the disciples are probably feeling what we feel. After hearing Jesus say, it's impossible for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, they they feel the same discouragement and um, maybe hopelessness as we feel. And then they say, well, then who can be saved? What's the point? It, it, It seems hopeless. Who's got a chance? And this is what Jesus replies with. He says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Basically, Jesus just responds to them by saying, yep, who then can be saved? Isn't it hopeless? Who has a chance? Yep. You don't have a chance. That's the good news. There is nothing you can do to earn your righteousness. There is no amount of effort, great or small, you can do to even change the way God views you. And in fact, the good things that you do to love and to respect other people won't ever increase your chances of being able to make it into the kingdom. Does this mean that we shouldn't try to be good? No, of course not. Uh, should, we, should we do whatever we want knowing that we'll never make a difference? No, that's not what I'm saying. The, the book of James gives a pretty good explanation into that. Uh, in James 2.24, it says, a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Now, this opens up a whole theological Pandora's box of explanation I cannot go into at this time. Uh, I want to come back to what is Jesus trying to say? I think there's two things that we are, are uh, able to realize within this. Is that the first thing is that we can't do it. We can't. Our good works do not enter us into the kingdom of heaven. Do not give us a ticket into God's kingdom. And second, that God can. But we need to recognize that we can't earn our way into the kingdom. I'm not saying that we shouldn't treat others with love and respect and try to give up on holding to Jesus' teaching. That's the opposite. I'm saying that we need to recognize our need for Jesus. We need him to help us do these things. I want to I finish that passage off from Hebrews chapter 8. Uh, the next couple of pa- or verses here uh, are again quoting back from Jeremiah and It's pretty helpful, I think. So I'm just going to read this quote here for us. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And it's, it's through this lens that we need to view the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, yes, 
on your own, you will never be able to attain the standard, not even the standard of the law, but the heart and the intent of the law there. This is why you need something firm to build your foundation upon. Because if you built it on your own efforts, in order to attain righteousness, goodness, or the kingdom even, you'll be disappointed and you'll fail. And if your house is built upon your efforts to support yourself, to, to bring comfort in difficult times, to find peace, peace amidst the anxiety, to, to see hope in your circumstances, as soon as the storm comes, your house will be knocked down. Now, here's the good news of, of, what, of what Jesus brings. No matter the con- condition of your house, no matter the, the things you've been trusting in, Uh, If it's been God or not, to bring you peace or hope or comfort, Jesus is always willing to renew and transform. Jesus comes alongside us and sees us sitting at the base of the lumber and and brick rubble and, and asks us if he can help us build a new one. So, um, I, I don't like just giving you a bunch of information that's like, oh, yeah, that's nice, or that's really heavy, uh, without giving you something tangible to go off of. So um, maybe just something a little more practical. Your righteousness is earned through Jesus. You need to hear that. Your righteousness is earned through Jesus, not because of the things that you do yourself. This grace was given to you. And this is the only, the only the start of your journey. It comes with the calling to follow Jesus and to hold to his teaching. Now, we get it wrong at times. That's okay. Jesus is still the carpenter who can come and fix our house. If our walls have fallen down, Jesus wants to come and rebuild them. If, and Dustin shared a story this morning of how his house flooded this past week. He was able to save it before it did too much damage, but... Again, in our worldly standards, we can fix things, we can rebuild them, but in our houses, for ourselves, Jesus can only do this work. So hold to what Jesus taught. Some more practical steps. If you are in need of something, ask Jesus. Uh, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Knock and, you will, uh, and the door will be opened to you. Pray and seek him for the help you need. If you're angry with someone, Make amends with them, relying on Jesus for your help. Again, asking him for the things you need. Because if you just try to forgive someone who's hurt you time and time again on your own, probably won't go so well. He is faithful to help us. If you're anxious and worried, stop trying to find ways to cope with your anxiety and hear the words of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. So I encourage you this week, take some time and, and figure out what the condition of your house is. If you're, if you're noticing cracks and holes in your foundation, or if your house has fallen over completely, stop trying to fix it yourself. It won't get any better. Uh, in, in the words of Jeremiah, uh, he gives this short little um, uh, sentence where He says, do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. And in in the larger context of this passage, he's saying, why do you run after things that don't help? Why do you continually turn to things that only make your own life worse off? Don't run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. Come to Jesus who offers us living water. You'll only fall apart again when the next storm comes if you trust in yourself. So, 
What is the condition of your house? Turn to Jesus. He's the only one that can build your house to stand in the middle of the storm and the floods. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you that in this storm, uh, during this season of life, God, that we can trust in you, but God, more importantly, that you are faithful to help us, to walk alongside us, and God, to rebuild the parts of our lives that have fallen apart. And I ask that God, as you renew and as you restore and renovate, God, our hearts, our minds, our bodies, help us to know how to be obedient. Help us to know how to trust in you. And I pray that we would reach out, not only, first of all, to you, God, but to others. We have community. We have the church to rely on as well. And so, God, I ask that you would put it in our hearts to rely upon one another as well. But, God, thank you for the work you are doing. And, and we ask that you would continue to do the work that you have started.